the system of exchange is being overlaid onto the society. And then that, if I remember correctly, like Levi Strauss is trying to even take the exchange as the alliance and then give that um, over to the preponderance of the, the filiative where it seems to actually be more of the inverse and that's because of the functionality of it. Well, so what this piece is arguing and I tend to lean that way is that uh, the Levi Strauss's sort of directionality of the whole thing is purely about alliances when actually Leach is arguing and supposedly G&G are, as I'm reading it as well, that these alliances themselves are actually the early economic and political systems that that there is more than just simply I will we will share our wife and we will ultimately come back around and all of us will be tied together through this. There is an exchange of everything that is happening, and that includes the political machine, which means social and desiring repression, as well as the so as well as social machine, uh, an economic machine. So these things are all happening through these transactions, and that's what Leach brought in. Whereas Levi Strauss very much did not. He did not take uh, sort of that view of everything back then very much more um to quote levi levi strauss's view stops us understanding in particular why it is women who are exchanged so much so that this shortcoming in the intelligibility of kinship structures poses a problem for levi strauss himself sometimes the explanation falls back on invoking a structural asymmetry between the sexes that is characteristic of human society and makes women and her services domestic and sexual an object of exchange between men other times, from the viewpoint of the structure of kinship and pure logic of reciprocity, men could just as well be exchanged. But for Marxists, the exchange of women is not only the direct distribution of part of the workforce, it is also and primarily the indirect distribution of all of the workforce, insofar as the procreative woman is the producer of the producer. Wow. So it's it's talking through Levi Strauss, uh, comes to some very sort of stops a step before Leach. And Leach goes, no, there is a lot more happening in these exchanges than just simply, uh, oh, you have, we have a pretty wife now, you have a pretty daughter, we're going to exchange it, we will be friends, which is as far as Levi Strauss took his analysis in, in general. And I'm super generalizing. Please, Levi Strauss people, do not hate me. Or do. I probably don't won't get along with you. But uh, if we go further and we go to what Leach said, there's a lot more that's happening in here. So... It, the 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 difficulty I think I've been having as I've been reading a lot of this is as they use the term primitive, they're it's, it's the word that they're using uh, for a lot of this, but they're simply speaking about what came before the despotic socius, and the primitive socius they don't mean primitive in the sense of that there is no societal ins and outs and things like that, or that it's some savage mind the way that I think the American language utilizes savagery. But they're talking about actually no these these pressures that we experience now these pressures were part of the original exchange system the difference is that the exchange system and how it was built uh focused on very specifically sort of uh, uh limiting flows in sort of grand coding large-scale coding with giant let's say giant sections of flows and giant codes and that over time those got broken up into uh, smaller codes, and that's when the despot came in, and that's that's kind of what I, I know. Granted, I'm reading a re reading ahead, but they seem to be talking about uh, that. Actually, no, society wasn't like some foreign thing. It's a matter of how the coding happens and when. And if we treat women 
as part of the production cycle and we actually go back and we really look at the production of the time the economics of the time we can say why women were exchanged this point makes but we can also talk about overall how primitive societies uh, uh dealt with their their uh, flows of desires and their exchanges which i think is really interesting sort of overall probably put an announcement sorry no that's cool i i like that I would say too, though, um, it's it, we're talking exchange in a non-Martian sense, right? Because um, I think the big thing here is like, like you're saying, this is a society. They have their economics and their po- political structures, and that's the horizontal aspect of alliance. But what they're making clear here, in terms of historical and genealogical progression is that, um, I believe they actually write this on the first page, that um, social repression is occurring here just like it will continue to occur under different aspects, right? And this is a way of how territorial representation um, is related to social repression. And I wanted to point you to, because I thought I thought this sentence was quite helpful. And I think it, it aligns really nicely with what you were saying on page 185, society is not exchangist. The socius is inscriptive, not exchanging, but marking bodies, which are part of the earth. We have seen that the regime of debt directly resulted from the savage inscription. So like, this might be a worth focusing on, but it's, it's what the socius is doing here is incredibly important for how territorial representation and therefore social repression um, affect people in the society, right? Affect us and, and do the coding. I, I, I agree with that. I think that this is, uh, a, a lot of this is being sort of changed for me and I, you're experiencing my opinions in real time. So feel free to tell me I'm an idiot literally ever. Perfectly fine. Um, but uh, it seems like, and again, I'll go back. The the thing here is not necessarily between multiple types of debt, uh, multiple types of anything. It's discussing this anthropological sense of how societies formed and the discursion, the the difference between Levi Strauss and Leach, which is minor, but like minor in in the grand scheme. But D and G have attached to this idea that actually no, we just need to continue going back. And so to quote. Uh, the, back to the chapter again, nothing is more significant in this regard than the controversy between Levi Strauss and Leach concerning the Kachin marriage system. Uh, invoking a conflict between egalitarian conditions of generalized exchange and its aristocratic consequences, Levi Strauss acts as though he thought the system were in a state of equilibrium. However, the problem is altogether different. It is a question of knowing if the disequilibrium is pathological and a manifestation of consequences, as Levi Strauss maintains, or functional and fundamental, as Leach argues. That's that's actually the debate that they're trying to solve in here because they're trying to go back with a, uh, that's page 187 of uh, the Minnesota Press. Um, but they're trying to go back and say, no, no, that actually Leach is correct here. The reality is there is a historical materialism that we can trace back even to primitive society, which is commonly, I think, at this point, from what I'm able to tell, mostly not done. 
and that we can actually look at things in a materialist perspective even back then. And if we're able to do that, we can start seeing how social repression even existed for the noble savage or whatever you may want to call it. Yeah, I, I think I can jive with that. Um, what I wanted to say in response to that, or, or to perhaps um, to push forward with that, is I, I did spend some time looking over that first paragraph more. And, and like we said, right, like this is, like you're saying, right, this is about understanding social repression and therefore understanding um, territorial representation. And, and of course, I'm, um, I'm not saying psychic repression, but that's on the table here too. So like what I started to get out of that first paragraph and to kind of expand on what I said yesterday, and it started to make more sense to me is it seems like there's a basic schema in that first paragraph that they're going to roll out during this section after like, um, I think I was saying earlier, like you've almost got to take out the problems of Marxism from Marx. And then you've got to move from Levi-Strauss, like you're saying, into Leach, where you're, you're looking at functionality rather than structurality, or at least you're understanding, um, you know, you're not representing the represented in a sense. But in that way, what I got is like the way that representation works there's those three elements we said yesterday, the repressed representative, the repressing representation, and the displaced represented. And then those have varying agents, and those three um, aspects have varying depths. But then they seem to ask three more questions to understand how that representation is working. And that is, that those are rather, what is the chance to, uh, desiring machines will cause their regimes into social machines? What is the momentum of detachment that social machines execute in relation to social machines? And then finally, do the death-carrying elements remain caught in desiring machines and cast in the social machine or combine to form a death instinct crushing desire? And then they seem to walk this out and to say, like, this is based on the primary factor um, of the genus of, of social inscription, uh, which is, right, it's alphabets, it's characteristics and, and social inscription. But they also seem to say, like, um, psych there, there's a secondary psych uh, psychic repression happening in relation to desiring machines or excuse me, there's a secondary psychic repression happening um, in relation to the uh, to the socius, I think it was, to the social inscription. And then there's the more primary uh, inscription going on with the, the desiring machines. So, right, like you have the socius um, in relation to the like body without organs that are getting created. Okay, so... Um two things um i think we should revisit what we said yesterday about these three elements of representation because i think we messed those up multiple times like we've shuffled them around and i, I saw your note and so for the people who are going to be listening to this because our review sessions get a lot um uh, triad brought up a great point that we actually uh i think you did it 
I'm scrolling back up where we fucked up. That's the post that oh, I made. Uh, it was Lou. Yes, we took the terms from Holland and. No, no, no. That's also wrong. That's uh, something I realized today, because um, Holland was actually right, and I was wrong, and we messed up the terms in chat, and not. For ta uh, and I have no idea where those other terms came from in the end. Holland. Good. I like that we made things up. It's good. <laughs> So, uh, do you want to run through the actual ones and let's have a let's actually spend some discourse on that? I think that's an absolutely worthwhile conversation. Uh, actually, I updated later than this uh, the, uh, than the, uh, the what I wrote in chat just to not let it stand. But um, I have these here. So we have the repressing representation, which is the signifier of the prohibition. Um, we have the displaced representative, um, the, which is the corresponding signified. The distorted image of desire produced by the representation itself, which is the Oedipus complex. And the repressed representative of desire, which is the referent. Desire itself in the form it takes operating beneath the prohibitive system of representation in a given mode of social production. Yes. The interesting thing about how they utilize these terms here is that they distinguish what these terms are from what they are doing in this section because the actual analysis of this these three terms happens earlier. We actually kind of skipped over those. Um, it's the third section of the third chapter where they develop those um, three terms. And there they um, um, and have an analysis of those. And these are the... Um, I think they say um, the how how the representation works in depth, and the last the last the last um, the last point they make here in the in our current section, if I have it here, is that in order to evaluate in every instance of the nature of the apparatus in its effect on desiring production, it is therefore necessary to take into account not only the elements of representation as they are organized in depth, but the manner in which representation itself is organized at the surface on the inscription surface of the sources. And I think that's a differentiation to the anal analysis of um, the signifier signified referent thing they did earlier but i haven't really figured out what kind of, what the point of this differentiation is what this um surface level of representation means in contrast to the deep level of representation i can't find the quote right now but i recall there being something that i think is getting at this about uh yeah the kind of representation falling back on the inscription or not kind of being there in the first place for that. Yeah, I'm looking on page 164 to 165, and you're, you're absolutely right. They do go into territorial representation in the uh, primitive socius. Um, is, is anyone opposed to me reading a couple of those? Uh, I don't want definitions. Please, please yeah. do, please. So they write, um, again, page 164. 
we are now able to outline the various instances of territorial representation in the primitive socius. Uh, in the first place, the germinal influx of intensity conditions all representation. It is the representative of desire. But if it is turned representative, this is because it is equivalent to the non-codable, non-coded, or decoded flows. And actually, this answers my question yesterday. In this sense, it implies in its own way the socius's limit, the limit or the negative of every socius. The repression of this limit is possible only to the extent that the representative itself undergoes a repression. This repression determines what part of the influx will pass through and will, what will not in the system in extension, what will remain blocked or stocked in the extended filiations, and on the contrary, what will move and flow following the relations of alliance in such a way that the systematic coding of the flows will be carried out. We call this second instance the repressing representation itself, alliance, since the filiations become extended only in terms of lateral alliances that measure their variable segments. Whence the importance of these local lines that Leach has identified, and which two by two organize the alliances and arrange machine the marriages. Let's see if we can find the third. Um, As for Oedipus in general, it is not the repressed, that is, the representative of desire, which is on this side of and completely ignorant of daddy-mommy, nor is it the repressing representation, which is beyond and which renders the persons discernible only by subjecting them to the homosexual rules of alliance. Incest is only the retroactive effect of the repressing representation on the repressed representative. The representation disfigures or displaces this representative against which it is directed. It projects onto the representative categories rendered discernible that it has itself established. It applies to the representative terms that did not exist before the alliance organized the positive and the negative into a system and extension. The representation reduces the representative to what is blocked in the system. Hence, Oedipus is indeed the limit, but the displaced limit that now passes into the interior of the socius. I don't, I don't, I don't have anything to add here. It's, it's, uh, I've been spending a lot of time trying to understand their use of debt and exchangeism. So uh, this part of it, I don't have a ton to say on, although I have a lot of questions around, uh, around it, I guess, mostly just confusion. Yeah, I think as we go through this, it's going to be more and more important because, like, at least if, if you're reading the first paragraph like I am, right, that's going to be the schema of um, how this territory representation is going to work here, right? Because this is how social repression and psychic repression are going to um, going to happen, right, is through territorial representation. Yes, yeah. What I found interesting about their treatment of these of the of this schema of representation that they outlined earlier is that they say here in our current section on page one hundred eighty four um, that 
the that the rep that um oh, sorry they they have the sentence here um, that um the after the system of cruelty maintain an infinitely greater affinity with desiring machines than does the capitalist axiomatic, which nonetheless liberates the decoded flows. This is because in the primitive searches, desire is not yet trapped, not yet introduced into a set of impasses. The flows have lost none of their polarosity, and the simple representative in representation has not yet taken the place of the representative. So, Somehow the the um, representation and the primitive searches seems to not follow this scheme, and I haven't really figured out what, what uh, how it does actually relate to the scheme. Then I th I think in some ways it kind of goes back to what we talked about. Um, I think it was last week in the sense that like. For the conditions of Oedipus to be right, you've got to have this this um, this divide between um, social production and reproduction and um, familial reproduction, and then there's got to be a way that, like, I think it was like a parallel set up there. But um, one of the ways we might be able to see that is like we could con. So I think we said that Oedipus is the repressing represent uh, the dis. Placed represented, right? That's the signified? Yeah? Yes. Okay, if I remember correctly, the, dis the, the displaced represented in the, the primitive society is going to be the alliant. So if, if that parallel holds, we can see a huge contrast in how the alliant in terms of um, economic and political uh, movement horizontally Right, like there's a lot of openness to that, whereas Oedipus, as a a signified, um, has a different relationship there. Right, it's more about closed off, and in the same way, like I think it is consistent with um, affecting the other forms of sexuality. Right, by by dealing with them in a sense as sort of decoded flows. I also, uh, it is worth bringing up here the first paragraph and they use the word throughout the rest of the book and actually a lot in a thousand plateaus is uh and it's in english they use the word detachment which i do not think is actually going to be a really good uh the word the word that is in parentheses is decolment which uh i know i'm anglicizing but it's because it's been anglicized as a word uh, it's used for how faults in the Earth's crust grind against each other uh, decolment is a very specific type where it's uh, one section of ground against another that actually, uh, it, it does break, but detached is really the wrong way to put it. It's, uh, they've separated, but they are still grinding against each other. It's it's a continuous connection, but they're actually moving slightly differently. So decolments are, uh, it's actually, it's been very anglicized, at least since then. So. Uh, it's a shearing moment. Yes, Doug, absolutely. So it's not its not so much erosion. It's uh, decolment uh, uh, you may see as uh, mountain mountains, hills, things like that uh, as far as the surface effect. But uh, they're layers 
of earth grinding against each other and pushing slightly against each other that causes a difference in rocks to appear. Uh, so I'm actually just going to start using the term decolonate because it's actually an anglicized word at this point. Um, it's not the translation detachment feels to me when I use that word, I intend that something's become separated and sort of, but that's detachment intent puts space. And that, that isn't the original intention here. I don't think because when they're talking about according to whether social machines execute more or less of a movement of detachment in relation to desiring machines, it's not that they're becoming separate and going a different direction and they're not connected anymore. It's decolment. It's, uh, their ability to still be up against each other, but no longer congruous. It's incongruity in their movement. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Brooks, because in like the first chapter, when they talk about the difference between removals of flow and detachments from chains, the French word is detachment, not decolement. Yeah, it's a, I think that the, it's, it's, it's a really important thing here because it, it immediately goes into... And whether the death-carrying elements remain caught in the machinery of desire and casted in the social machine, or on the contrary, joined together to form a death instinct that extends throughout the social machine, crushing desire. That would be why decolment is used, because uh, then the upper, the for this, the death instinct that extends through the social machine would then take the upper, let's say the upper flow of desire and actually be literally crushing because that's what the upper area does. It crushes the fuck out of whatever's underneath it in rock. Um, I think that that visual and that, that is much more of their uh, poetic intention here. Yeah, I think that's actually an incredibly helpful explanation. Thank you for that. I don't speak French, but once in a while I know a French word that we Americans have bastardized. That's kind of that's that's. I'm going to call myself bilingual soon. Just a lie. Um, but I think that helps. And again, if if we're talking about uh, de Coleman here. Uh, and we're talking about the the very specific in the Kachin, the way the Kachins deal with each other and the way that their desiring machines uh, and social machines work against each other in the primitive society. If we're looking at it through the lens of leech, we're talking about about a thousand different ways that these these uh, social machines producing desire uh, slowly layer up in order to create the uh, complexity that is the Kachin marital society. And they talk about it being incredibly complex, all of its different layers. Um, and actually, again, the, what Roger brought forth um, and and link, I linked to, uh, let me see if I can find the specific quote. Uh, because if we're talking about territories, again, the land as a poetry sort of connection, I think, matters. Um, but in, uh, Leach considers that the system is in balance, but in political and economic balance. It is in balance on the condition that the exchange is considered in concrete terms based on the relations of territorial power, which unite the aristocratic classes with ordinary people. In this case, these are the payment which accompany marital compensations, which can be regarded as a rent paid to the senior landlord by the tenant, who in the Kachin territorial system has a status of son-in-law, Dama, to the landlord. Likewise, in the system as a whole, we should consider that the religious festivals organized by the upper classes 
give back prestige goods that were wagered or exchanged on the occasion of the marriage, which are consumer goods, namely cattle. We will not see a better use of the principle of reciprocity, but, on the contrary, an interpretation of the system of alliances and prestations, counterprestations, based on the eminent principle, both political and economic, of the application of powers. By giving his cattle to be consumed during religious festivals, the chief converts the perishable wealth into imperishable prestige through the medium of spectacular feasting. And I love that section. Uh, helps me understand in my head when they are talking about debt and they're talking about the economic and social machines and desiring machines that are moving throughout this and how these things get produced into each other. We're talking about ultimately conversion of value and labor value or whatever it may be, the wealth uh, being converted across multiple territories, right? Um, I think they, oh, I'm not sure about labor value because I thought there was something about. It's, a, it's not specifically labor value in this point. There, that's another one he's making. But the, the chief converts perishable wealth into imperishable prestige. The the conversion of this, uh, of these things across multiple machines, the, the conversion of this across these territories is is what the implication is here. Sorry, are you referring to that paper that you posted like to right now? Yes, correct. Okay. Sorry, it's making I'm, it, a lot of what you're experiencing is real time. I'm, I've not, I've barely had a chance to digest this, but I really enjoy a lot of what this paper's saying, and I'm trying to figure out how to communicate it properly. Yeah, I'm, I'm only hesitant on labor value because that's for, forget I said it. It was a mistake. Forget I said it. <laughs> I was cu I was cu uh, curious why you were getting at multiple territories here. Well, okay, so my understanding of in general territoriality as they're talking about it throughout this chapter is not uh, how to put this. This is difficult. Uh, let's assume I don't know. Let's assume I don't have an answer for that. It's just easier rather than me sound like an asshole for a little while. <laughs> oh, that makes me feel less dumb. Thanks. <laughs> well, so the, the, the Cajun territorial system that they talk about in here is directly related to marriage and the marriage and the setup and how those things move across. And with that, the alliances, that's the territory we're talking about. Right? Mm-hmm. But they have more than just the marriage, they have the entire society. And the complexity of the entire society is the marriage system you may have traded or given, I'll give you four goats or I'll give you a cow if you take my daughter in marriage uh, because you were part of the aristocrat class. And you go, well, that is excellent. Thank you. I would love to have us alliance. And I am very powerful politically. That That exchange may have happened within that territory, but... Suddenly, if I'm having this larger feast, which, as they talked about in the previous chapters, the feasts are there as kind of a flush valve for the excess desire, uh, that becomes, that is a second territory entirely, but I'm converting across the two. Because I'm converting the proceeds of one, the cattle, the wealth of the cattle, uh, to that uh, sort of flush valve of desire, which is the feast or the, the celebration for everyone. 
And by doing so, I've converted one value to another across through the medium of feasting. Yeah, I like how there's also this transition from the perishable to the imperishable. I think that fits in well there. I agree. It's an, it's, it's an interesting way to look at it. And again, it's uh, I think I think a lot of this is them doing what they can to back Leech and to go after Levi Strauss's uh, sort of way he looked at anthropology in general. A lot of this is, and it's the timing of all of this, is when Levi Strauss was getting big, Leech had been starting to be discussed, all of that, and they're picking a side and saying, we're going with this guy, this is our dude, Levi Strauss, who um, really deals with the reciprocal aspects of kinship, emphasizes the importance of prestations as symbols of that relationship. Uh, whereas Leech very directly says, no, no, they're, they're, they may be those things, but actually they represent economic and they represent political exchanges. And it's, it's very much a transfer there. So the trouble that I have with that is a bit that uh, with relating this specifically to this section is that it feels like this was discussed in earlier sections because we had this whole section where they talked about how um, how, how filiation and uh, alliances work and there was even, I think they quoted Leech about Levi-Strauss saying that Levi-Strauss wasn't really interested in what was um, given in return for the woman. Um, so this sounds really like all that stuff that they did earlier, but what they do in this section specifically, talking about the inscription, I can't relate to this just yet on that level. So uh, let me take a crack because I um, uh, a lot of what Levi Strauss talked about uh, with sort of uh, the, the primitive societies, and I'm just going to start using that word and deal with it, um, is that they had a, a closed system, and they, they outline that in here a few times. They, they use that reference that uh, the, the system was set as it was, and it's almost as if, so if we're talking about how did, how did primitive become despotic? That's that transfer. How did this happen? Because Levi, for Levi Strauss, it, it's almost like it was a fit and starts. It's like, oh, suddenly, wow, we just had this despotic system. Someone figured it out. Whereas they're very much more going into the genealogy of it and saying that it is a it is a semi-gradual process with lots of crazy shit and lots of different interactions that are causing these things. And you can see a lot of common causes if we go back and we look at Leech's interactions of these things. So with Levi Strauss, the, the, uh, to quote this article, and it's the specific phrase I really like, um, Levi Strauss removes the game of exchange from any structural disruption by the praxis which achieves this. The game in question is reduced to a very simple circulation of women through units of fixed descent, which cannot change without the system being transformed into another structure. Uh, 
I trade you my wife, he trades his wife, the wife comes back to me. All of that's closed. All of this is happy. I really enjoy this. This is the Levi Strauss way of looking at the primitive man. Whereas they're saying, actually, no, if we look at Leech, he's got this secondary thing where it's like, no, these, these are actually, uh, because if, if Marx is going to say, and again, they, they quote that in the article, Marx is going to say that uh, history is the battle of class interests, and that's the setup. But we look at primitive man through his eyes, through Levi Strauss's eyes, there were no classes. Like there was some sort of level of these things, but in Levi Strauss, eh, no, we, we traded, we were happy, we were great. Uh, the savage life was a wonderful, wonderful thing where we were disconnected from the modern problems of society. Leach went, no, there's, there is an aristocratic order. There is some layers of this. We could see it in the kitchen culture. If you look at them, they have their upper strata and lower strata and the marriages between them. There is exchangeism that happens and there is these transfers of wealth. And the reality is there's more than just the literal transfers of wealth, because when I transfer my wealth upwards, he may use that in a feast. He's transferring and changing that wealth from being just straight. I have a cow to I have given my people a thing. And over time, this game that is being played is something that uh uh, let's take it to the world of video games. If I were to place this on an island in Minecraft and put a thousand kids in it, one of them would figure out how to become the fucking guy who gets all the fucking cows and chooses when the feasts happen. And that's how the despotic comes along. These these machines, these desiring machines, the social machines and economic machines that Leech is saying existed in Primitive Man that Levi Strauss had fucking didn't. Those are the things that over time started morphing and changing and suddenly, and at one point, they were what we know as despotic machines. That is how I'm reading this article that I tend to agree with that Roger sent over, and I'm trying to just explain it out. So when we go back to the displaced representative, repressing repre representation, and repressed uh, representative, the three items that uh, exist through all of these in varying degrees, we're able to see how these interactions and how these layers, again, to go back to the idea of the decolment, uh, that these breaks and these layers uh, sort of, uh, they engender people to become, uh, to break them, to play around with them and to move into different places and to move into different stratum of society through the very machines, the gaming of the system that happens and that there is a very sort of natural uh, process for that that went through that does that make sense that that ramble that i just made yeah definitely they are uh, criticizing this uh, view um, of a closed system or as they describe it all this depends finally on the postulate that burdens ethnology to the same extent uh, that it has determined bourgeois political economy, the reduction of social reproduction to the sphere of circula circulation. Sorry. Yeah, no. I think. And, yeah. and then you go to the uh, end of that paragraph just after the uh, 33 footnote, they get at, you know, what really is essential here is that not, not exchange of circulation, but inscription. And I think you're right to point out this difference between detachment and decolment because that grinding itself is a form of inscription. Well, the grinding is between the social machines and the desiring machines. That's a quote. 
on the contrary, with Leech, the ties of descent uh, depend on the strategies of alliance as they gradually incorporate and outline an open system, understood from a logic of debt with an indeterminate outcome. Relations of power are at work in these strategies, which determine the categories of descent. The codification of the alliance is nothing other than a marking operation. The codes are markers of power and not the expression of a logical combination. Yeah, and this might be where we want to bring this back to Socius, right? Because, you know, to go back to that sentence, society is not exchangist. The Socius is inscriptive, not exchanging, but marking bodies, which are part of the earth. Like, in reference to what you're saying, Brooks, it seems to be that, like, the, if there is a game, right, it's more about what's on that socius and what's in relation to the body with the organs of desiring machines, because that's affecting um, the secondary aspect of psychic repression, but it's also affecting like the primary repression um, that occurs with the desiring machines, right? At that sort of more micro level. Read a little bit more. If Deleuze and Guattari pay so much attention to the importance of inscription, coding, and marking in primitive societies, this does not therefore mean that the flow of desire is already coded, the exchanges structured, and the alliances inscribed. On the contrary, it shows the coding, the inscription, and the marks are in the process of being completed in the alliance processes themselves, for which Nietzsche has given us the logic of debt as an application of a power relation. So this is where their kind of uh, genealogy of inscription from the oral uh, to the, you know, the oral with the non-coded graphic system, perhaps we could say, to the, the coding and inscription systems, uh, I think becomes important. I think this goes back to what we said about... Um, how let me see here the primary genus of the socius it's an, uh, of the social inscription its alphabet and its characteristics is a major um, determining factor of social repression right so if if the alphabet and characteristics of the social inscription of the alliance is is going to be um, interwoven with debt, right? If debt is going to be the sort of like the language um, of that inscription, then that seems to me to be um, how you can walk this out. And even uh, when they write, it is alliance that codes the flows of desire and that by means of debt creates for man a memory of words, paroles. It is alliance that represses the great, intense, mute filiative memory, the germinal influx as the representative of the non-coded flows of desire capable of submerging everything. So, so right, like this, this inscription process and that, the, the way that debt um, 
sort of speaks for Alliance seems to be um, both operating as kind of a signified here, but also giving us a way of thinking about these things, right? Since the signified is sort of the more mental aspect of the sign. Um, so to mention the derivation of the word parolis, um, uh, parole, it's, uh, it is words, but it also has a bit of a connotation around it of uh, promise, statement, declaration. Uh, so, yeah, and, uh, uh, and it is a, an a essential concept in De Saussure's uh, semiotics. The ooh. difference between language and uh, parole. Uh, language is well defined. It's a um, yeah, it's a well structured system. Uh, it's working by representation uh, in a distinct way and. Parole is more like uh, an heterogenic speech act, uh, something with, with, uh, which has only a, yeah, a, a loosely set of rules that are always uh, created in the act and are transformed by uh, cultural differences. So um, if I remember Sassur right, uh, and again, I'm going to say it in a more layman's setup, uh, language is... Uh, what we would see in the dictionary when we discuss the meaning of words, language, whereas paroles is very much about almost the colloquial, the way we speak, what people say, what people literally, like the man on the street, the words that they use, that would be the paroles. No? Oh, yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't say the, the language of the everyday man, but uh, specifically the speech act. Uh, the speech the act, yes, fair, thank you. That's the right. Concrete uh, speaking. I think the uh, relationship um, between La Longue and uh, Parole are basically the relationship between a virtual structure and its actualization. And I, it's probably not, I mean, I can't imagine that they would use the word paroles in this context without having some sort of at least wink at Saucer. Like, am I wrong in that? There, There's other words they could use that could mean literally just words. <laughs> it has, it has um, meaning here insofar as they go against um, the this view of structure that uh, Levi-Strauss um, um, adapted, right? Like uh, the structures that Levi-Strauss um, talks about are um, on the level of a long uh, language, not paroles. Well, the big thing here um, seems to be, too, that uh, words or paroles here is sort of like that is a lion speaking, right? It's it's the how they say, like uh, kind of the alphabet of the social inscription here. So, right, it's it's um, it, it's the signified and, and it's like um, 
I almost want to call it like the words of debt, right? It's it's how we talk about debt specifically through the society, and therefore how we, if if we're talking about debt, we're talking about the the signified of alliance. Or at least that's how it looks to me. I'm, I'm open to a disagreement on that. I think they might be getting at something different than a signified signifier relation at first here, where they talk about them being uh, connected and coordinated, but um, not aligned and not subordinate to each other. Yeah, that's fair. I mean it in the sense where they... Um... Because like alliance seems to be like the the signified here in terms of like the um, the representation, without using the more technical term of um, displaced representation. Yeah, displaced representation. But where they write um, dead is the unit of alliance, right? So if we're and, and alliance is representation itself, right? So if we're talking debt, um, we're talking about the unit of alliance, right? So like it's sort of like. Uh, a quantity of it, or if you want to use the paroles, like the speaking of it, like Lou said, the actual speaking of debt, and then like the representation of the alliance that is in connection with that, like you're saying, Doug. Yeah, I mean, I think you might be right in that they're kind of getting at a sort of transformation into a semiotic relationship, the triangulation of the territorial representation. I just wanted to mention because we had the sentence um, they and we talked about the sentence yesterday um, where they say that um, alliance is the repressing representation or is the representation I have don't have the sentence right in front of me but alliance is representation itself um, that's again um, they don't explain this here because that's exactly what they've analyzed two sections earlier um, and I don't think there's um, a single easy quote to capture this but actually right before they um before they introduce the territorial representation in the three instances of the, of the repressed representative, the repressing representation and the displaced representative on uh, page 185, I think. The page numbers are messed up in this PDF. Um, they talk about this, but I don't have a succinct quote. Yeah, thank you for that, because um, that is something I'm struggling with, right, is that the alliance, I thought they called it signified elsewhere, but, um, right, it is also the representation, and it does seem to get weird in terms of, like, um, it does seem like there might be um, kind of a funkiness to how, how I'm thinking about this. I don't. I don't want to stop this train. I'm. I have another question. So let me know when you. I'm. I'm. One of the things about this uh, section that has really gotten to me, at a, in a big way, uh, has been that this seems to be the first time that they're using the terms inscribed and all of that. 
not on the body without organs, but instead very directly uh, talking about a very real world situation of it in the primitive man, because it's very common for scarification and all that to be used as the sort of, uh, as they put it, recording of debt effectively. So uh, my question would be when they use the terms uh, inscribed on the body without organs, uh, are they discussing essentially the inscription of our collective debt or the debt of any specific act uh, as an allegory that is that we should be thinking of the body without organs as being that thing that is having the debt inscribed upon it in the same way that uh, checks are written or ious are written in modern age and capitalist sense that that is how we inscribe our debt is essentially the debt on the body without organs in the nietzschean sense what is being inscribed I just don't think that I've, as far as I know, from what I've read, they, they they use the word inscribed on two different ways. One is body without organs, and the other is here where they're talking about very specifically on uh, people. So it just feels like that that's the allegory they're making that in the primitive societies, uh, uh, the inscription is happening on the body for them. Uh, the body without organs, the grand body without organs, is always having everything inscribed upon it, and that is the debt. Am I? Just seems like uh, maybe. No, I think I think you've got a, a very good point. I mean, I, I can't say for sure, but I'd be very surprised if the answer to your question was no. I think the parallelism here is between the socius and the body without organs, and that's why it's important that the bodies belong to the earth. Because they're of the is of the socials. Oh. 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 Okay, actually, yeah. So to say another way, since we're discussing primitive man and for them, uh the things that they are doing, their connection is with the earth. Their debt is to the earth. Uh the their interactions with that, even though it's alliances and affiliations. Uh, the inscriptions they're making on them are actually uh, s s sort of connected to uh, the, I don't know how, I don't know the right wording for this, but it's connected to the earth because that is the socius. The socius at the time is the earth, the, the gods, whatever you may want to say. Um, and because of that, basically all, of, all that we're doing always is our own version of that. But because the body without or the socius is changing, uh, that which we owe is shifting, but ultimately we're always just inscribing our debt on the body without organs. Oh, sorry. I'm going to have a, my brain is going to be wandering through that now. Thank you for making that connection for me. I would go back too to that second paragraph. The principal factor in each of these respects is the type or genus of the social inscription. Its alphabet's characteristic. The inscription on the socius is in fact the agent of a secondary psychic repression or repression, and, and then in quotes, in the proper sense of the term, end quotes, that is necessarily situated in relation to the desiring inscription of the body without organs and in relation to the primary repression that the latter already performs in the domain of desire, a relation that is essentially variable. So it does seem like um, 
there's the res- this relationship between the socius and the body with that organs. Um, but in the same way, like the way that that's happening seems to be, as I'm reading this, at least that the socius is inscribing upon bodies, but at the same time, desiring machines um, are still connecting. And, the, and with, with these bodies without organs uh, for, forming in that way, there's a way that at, um, those have a more primary uh, interaction here. Because later on, I think they, when they talk about the eye, um, they write three sides of a savage triangle forming a territory of resonance and retention, a theater of cruelty. That implies the triangle, the triple independence of the articulated voice, the graphic hand, and the appreciative eye. Such is the manner in which territorial representation organizes itself at the surface, still quite close to a desiring machine of eye-hand voice. So it almost looks like the, the socius is almost like, is like right there up against the... Um, the body without organs of the, that desiring machine, like they're like you said earlier, almost grinding. I think we had earlier a section. I think I took this from Holland. I have to look, look it up whether I find it, where he talked about how um, the point is that um, in savage theory, um, the body without organs is still determined by the socius. Yeah, I could see that, but it's that the what interests me there is that they give the body without organs this like primary aspect of repression. Yeah, because you always need these um, material flows from the uh, body without organs that are uh, inscribed on. So there's always this aspect of uh, oppression of the body without organs in or by the socius. When the, the previous section, um, to quote, far from being an appearance assumed by exchange, debt is the immediate effect or direct means of the territorial and corporal inscription process. Debt is the direct result of inscription. Yeah, this is essential. And um, in this paragraph, um, there's also a lot more to dig out. Um, If I just read it. Um, Certainly. The the fact that innocent men suffer all the marks on their bodies derives from the respective autonomy of the voice and the graphic action, and also from the autonomous eye that extracts pleasure from the event. It is not because everyone is suspected uh, in advance of being a future bad debtor. The contrary would be closer to the truth. It is the bad debtor who must be understood as the marks had no sufficiently taken on him uh, as if he were to have been unmarked. He has merely widened beyond the limits allowed the gap that separated the voice of alliance and the body of filiation to such a degree that it is necessary to re-establish the equilibrium through the increase in pain. So it's like um, 
there's also, uh, always this step uh, by encryption, by using words, by using uh, signs and uh, drawing things, because these signs become autonomous in a kind of sense, because uh, they, they constitute a, a system to interpret them and uh, to have a specific meaning. And by that, uh, by using these signs, uh, in this sense, uh, you are deadened to them um, to use some specific rules or forms of interpretation to understand them. And when someone derives from them, there's uh, always the 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 possibility of bringing him back to this sign regime by inflicting him, uh, him with more pain um, in the sense of that you uh, use these concepts even more in his um, in his presence that you indoctrinate him with with the specific rules the sign system etc from this culture by inscribing them even deeper in his um uh, yeah, in his part of the body without organs. Yeah, I think I can get behind that because, like, right, the the dead is working in relation to territorial representation, right, which is, you know, is sort of the agent of um, social and psychic repression here, right? So, like you're saying, if if the socius's language, right, or rather the socius's um, alphabets. Um, you know, what's constructed from that alphabet and that what's inscribed is going to play back upon um, social production and reproduction as well as familial, familial reproduction, which are more intimate here than under the conditions for Oedipus. So I've been looking a lot at the first two pages and I, I don't know if you want to move somewhere else in the book but just to point out one thing I, I do like this point they make about like how this this use of alliance so like if, if we go back to like what you guys are saying about like the earth and coming from the earth and that and like if your filiation takes you further and further back to the earth right to the uh, first people or whatever um, is there that biocosmic myth they're talking about I like this um this point they make that um if that is so right then alliance necessarily puts that aside and sort of represses that um the collective memory and and brings in uh this sort of like debt memory so let me make, make it clear i shouldn't say replaces it but um imposes a memory of words founded on the ancient biocosmic memory. Uh, so like on 185, they write, it is death that articulates the alliances with affiliations that have become extended in order to form and to forge a system in extension representation based on the, the repression of nocturnal intensities. The alliance debt answers to what Nietzsche described as humanity's prehistoric labor, the use of the cruelest mnemotonics in naked flesh to impose a memory of words founded on the ancient biocosmic memory. That is why it is so important to see debt as a direct consequence of the primitive inscription process instead of making it and the inscriptions themselves into an indirect means of universal exchange. 
So maybe it's more like the memory that comes with the the earth, right? Is um is now being um now there's a a sort of repression of that with the representation of this like biocosmic myth. Does, does that seem more on the point? It, it feels, yes. Um, so to me, the where that resonates is actually where they end this section, talking through Nietzsche's genealogies and morals. One and two, I think it's two, where uh, they make the, I don't know, sort of snarky, but I think fairly possible point. Uh, it could be that spiritual or temporal, tyrannical or democratic, capitalist or socialist, there has never been but a single state, the state as dog, that speaks with flaming roars. Uh, speaks to that same, that continuous line, I guess, back. Um, the way that the socialist has perverted itself and changed, but essentially is. Uh, and maybe it proceeds. It's a terror without precedent in comparison with which the ancient system of cruelty forms of primitive regimentation and punishment are nothing. Concerted destruction of all the primitive coatings, or worse yet, their derisory preservation, reduction to the condition of secondary parts in the new machine, and the new apparatus of repression. Yeah, and that all happens after they discuss the... Um the sort of master race myth, right? Or like that, the like... Uh, right, the blonde, the blonde men who are founders of the state, yes. Yeah, and so maybe that's it, right? Is like, instead of the, the memory of coming from the earth, you get the memory of these blonde-headed um, uh, creators. And we had already uh, like this kind of... Uh, Kind of referential, but we had in the last section this uh, bit about um, being um, autochthonous. I don't. I'm, I'm not sure how the English pronunciation is. Um, which actually, I looked it up, and um, this relates to Levi Strauss's point that um, the Oedipus myth has a strong element of refuting the descendants from the earth. Okay, then that that actually helps a lot then, because then we can start to see, right, that's the territorial, repre repre uh, the repressing territorial representation, right? It it's, seems to be that, at least it seems to be connected with that myth, and therefore like alliance seems to perpetuate um, that myth in contrast to like the, um, the, the story of coming from the earth, which actually would explain why the filiative is so important here because if if your lineage takes you back to the earth right you have you kind of need a new origin point for the uh, for a new memory to sort of um to sort of uh supplant the original one what do you guys make of this um it's it's directly follows the quote uh brooks read and Nietzsche suggests how this new socius proceeds, a terror without precedent, in comparison with which the ancient system of cruelty, 
the forms of primitive regimentation and punishment are nothing. A concerted destruction of all the primitive coatings, or worse yet, their derisory preservation, their reduction to the condition of secondary parts in the new machine and the new apparatus of repression refoulement. Uh, all that constituted the essential element of the primitive inscription machine, the blots of mobile, open, finite debts, so-called the parcels of destiny, finds itself taken into an immense machinery that renders the debt infinite and no longer forms anything but one in the same crushing fate. Quote, the aim now is to, pre is to preclude pessimist... Uh, the aim now is to preclude pessimistically, once and for all, the prospect of a final discharge. The aim now is to make the glance recoil disconsolately from an iron impossibility, and quote, the earth becomes a madhouse. It sort of strikes me that I, I would have, I've been kind of struggling with some of my own thoughts is like, do these primitive machines, do they get destroyed? Or do we carry them with us? And it sounds like we repurposely, in a repurposing manner, we do carry them with us. From what I'm, my interpretation of this is that we do carry them with us, that the machines don't necessarily shift, that instead the change is ultimately in the layers of the machines, the complexities and the pressures down on them placing them in different places my and I, i'm, I'm going to try not to jump ahead because i then they literally get into this in the next section but um the ability for us to have these machines these these original ones they've carried through to modern times it's a matter of how uh they work it's a matter of how complex they are it's a matter of how debts are paid or possible to be repaid which they become and quickly not repayable um and how they they interact versus the socius, what what it's being done for. I really like the idea that this is ultimately about how we relate to the earth, and then soon it's how we relate to God or the despot, the despot being the representative, and then eventually capital, uh, as those being the socius and how our debt is uh, created and how our our actions are inscribed. Uh, that simultaneously as they are done and as the debt is created, not prior, not before, but from those machines, these things get created. I really, really enjoy that. I like that concept. I have to take my leave. Uh, thank you guys uh, for this. I'm, I'll be back. Thanks, Preston. Uh, in a little bit. Thanks. Yeah, I guess. Um these um, primitive inscription machines uh, are subsumed under a new, bigger system that tries to uh, generalize everything. Um, as, as they describe it, uh, finds itself taken into immense machinery that renders the debt infinite and no longer forms anything but one and the same crushing fate, uh, like um, a whole network, a global network around the earth uh, of a new machine like for example capitalism or the flow of money of uh, of capital um, that subsumes all other machines under its uh, under its regime and uh, under its uh, circulation 
So uh, these old primitive machines become uh, paranoid or uh, in some sense obsolete. Maybe they run still uh, in, in different regional um, senses, but um, their, um, their, their whole functioning uh, becomes absurd in this way. And maybe... Yeah, no. um, and maybe uh, pathologic. I think you're right that they do run still. And I think, uh, does, I want to see if you all agree with this interpretation of uh, that been the quotes about the aim now. I'm reading that as uh, an instance of the, the process becoming an end into itself. And that's, uh, you know, as absurd as the process being uh, allowed to continue uh, indefinitely, they say in the first chapter. Yeah, I would agree with that, uh, with that, definitely. And so both those things going on are why the Earth is becoming a madhouse, is how I'm reading this. Now, saying there has never been but a single state, that's an extremely provocative statement, I would say. Like, how are we to read that in a non-idealist way? Maybe in the sense that every state is uh, functioning uh, on a very um, low level at uh, uh, the same. It's, it's always this repression of the primitive uh, social desiring machines that now get overridden by a state that um, reclaims or, or claims some kind of absolute autonomy. But if we take that statement literally, they're not just saying that they're similar in this regard of how they function. They're saying they are literally the same. Do you think that's reading too much into it? Maybe, but I wouldn't say it because uh, the whole sentence reads, it could be, uh, mm -hmm. so they, they are not very sure about it or, or they don't want to uh, yeah, postulate it in a very certain way. Uh, it could be that spiritual or temporal, tyrannical or democratic, capitalist or socialist, there has never been but a single state, the statist dog that speaks with flaming roars. Like uh, every form of state is uh, in in his form uh, different, but in its function uh, the same. Some kind of ideology or um, big idea that every other aspects of society have to be uh, uh, aligned with. What do you think of this? Is the territorial representation, which as I'm reading here, seems to be something like the state. Doesn't that seem to sort of like, sort of supplant the socius, but divert us from that supplanting? Mm, wait a second, I have to look up supplant. Uh, oh, yes, like yes. It, it sort of buries it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, ah, okay. it kind of looks like there, when I, when I think back to where they talk about like, um, like I think they say something earlier on where like the body without organs has a relationship with like the the intensities and like what's produced and like kind of holds on to it. Where it's so much so that the subject makes the mistake of thinking that it's theirs rather than uh, right. So like it's the mistake of 
so I was king, and therefore the kingdom is mine, right? In the same way, it kind of seems like this finite aspect of death that's in relation to the earth, like we said, uh, or at least the earth is socius. Um, the problem that they're introducing here seems to be that with with the territory, uh, with the territorial representation of the alliance, uh, and therefore as we move toward a state, you start having the state trying to extend infinitely um, debts, and therefore like we no longer have the problem of like um, sort of like the surplus value of code and moving. We end up having the problem of um, having to deal with the territorial representation, and therefore the state, instead of looking toward the socius, or rather because the socius has become a madhouse and it is sort of afflicting us rather than, you know, there being sort of like a different relationship. getting a little lost by what you were saying just then, but with regards to uh, the states planting the uh, territorial primitive socius, I think that's accurate. They say in the uh, paragraph break on page, or around the paragraph break on page 191, that territorial representation has foreseen everything uh, except for the way its own death could come to it from without. So I think that uh, backs up what you were saying. Yeah, I would agree, because uh, as I see it in my interpretation, the um, territorialization uh, is some kind of, uh, yeah, it's always repressing uh, and oppressing in a specific way, but it's a very functional um, and pragmatic way of, of making sense of the world by different sign regimes um, that are um, laid over the world, so to speak. And when the state then um, takes its own machine of territorialization uh, as absolute, like uh, the only uh, truth, um, it becomes a problem because this system has to run infinitely and is always self-referential because there's nothing outside of this uh, state because the state is absolute uh, under its ideology. So it uh, can't be deterritorialized uh, unless it's uh, um, changed by revolution or something like that. I think so. that was extremely well put, yeah. Well, the, the comparison I'm going for is that, if I remember correctly, the socius doesn't produce anything, but it appears as though the socius is the, produ the producing, right? Remember, mm -hmm. Groom was saying, like, the body without organs sort of coordinates things through the attraction and repulsion. Like, and, and through, you know, because the socius is inscribing, right, the parallel I'm seeing here is if you look at the socius in that manner, where it looks like things emanate from the socius, or like the socius productive, even though it's not, and that the socius is inscribing, in that sense, like it's almost telling things what to do by marking bodies. Um, if you compare that with the image of the state as dog that speaks with flowing, fl flaming roars. That sounds to me like what territorial representation is doing is it's uh, going so far as to even introduce like 
sort of a sort of a pseudo I don't want to call it a pseudo socius but and uh, like it presents us as though the state is the agent of the socius in this weird way that it has the ability um, and even perhaps the um, uh, perhaps the right even to issue the orders and therefore to do the social repressing um, in in justification of the territorial representation. Yeah, I think you're right. You're, what you were just saying was kind of bringing the image of uh, you know Hobbes's Leviathan to me. Yeah, that that actually does seem appropriate. Although they're very careful to point out that like right, socialist, democratic, a tyrant, spiritual, temporality, capitalist. It's all the state as dog that speaks with flaming roars, right? Or rather, Nietzsche is very careful to point that out. And I mean, yeah, I think we're going to find out who these uh, outsiders are as we read on. But uh, it's kind of the, the, you know, the. What I'm taking from this is it's sort of the, the, the external violence that is, you know, really creating the state, even though it claims to be this uh, sort of, you know, leviathan of uh, the territory that was already there. Well, it almost seems to me like a kind of, perhaps the word for it is actually, it seems like a kind of displacement, right? A displacement of desire. But um, in that way, too, it also seems like part of the reason the earth becomes a madhouse is we're, we're trying to figure out this relationship we have with the earth, right? That is to say, like, the way that the, the socius of the earth inscribes and, and that relationship but then with this, this introduction of territorial representation with, I hesitate to call it the state, but with, with at least a territorial representation, a territorializing machine. And we might have to go back to 3.2 to better understand this, but with that comes the, um, comes the problem of something writing on, uh, writing upon the socius, right? Putting the alliance into circulation and that, and thereby seeming to also like not only make the, the socius into this kind of madhouse by getting this representation into into circulation, but also like giving us this weird like, okay, do we look to the, the state um, for for like cues, right? Do we look toward the representation? Or do we look toward the earth, which is kind of a madhouse now because like it's there's this representation there. Yeah, I would say it's very coherent with this image of the madhouse. Like when you're in a madhouse, uh, it's assumed that you're not seeing straight, that you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah, because... I'm kind of thinking this in the sense that, like, what circulates come, um, seems to come back to the socius, and, and in that way, there does seem to be like that problem of now the socius 
is getting this on this representation inscribed, and you've you know you've got uh, this, this 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 kind of displacement occurring therein. But in that way too, like, and I think this is why the aspect of memory is important here too. You've still got to deal with them. You know the memory of like prior. But the the kind of I think I understand this passage from Nietzsche a little bit better too, where, where he writes um, in reference to like those those creators. It is not in them that the bad conscious developed. That goes without saying, but it would not have developed if a tremendous quantity of freedom had not been expelled from the world, or at least from the visible world, and made, as it were, latent under their hammer blows and artist violence. Like in that way, this memory of the, the like the, the primordial people or whoever's whoever the blonde-headed people are in this sense, like in that way, it's interesting that he he's kind of saying like they're not the origin of bad conscience, or at least it doesn't occur in them. But the bad conscience does seem to come into play because of this loss of freedom. Um, or at least like the, um, the way that the, the, geez, the way that these, this story, this memory seems to have the hammer blows and artist violence, right? That this inscription is now playing upon bodies and is now, um, working with this territorializing representation and that way seems that what that creates in, uh, in, in sort of like relation or like an analogy with an art piece, right? That's where the bad consciousness even comes into play is that that problem of representation and the this issue of like that circulating. Or does, maybe you guys disagree with me on that. That's how I'm trying to put it together. Yeah, I'm not sure how to help put this all together, but I was taking a look at my copy of Genealogy of Morality, and I came across a line that I don't know, I think somehow might fit into here, which is that uh, Nietzsche says, but if we think, say, of those millennia before the history of man, then one may unhesitatingly judge that it is precisely through punishment that the development of the feeling of guilt has been most forcefully held back, at least respect to the victims on whom the punishing force vented itself. I think it's interesting is that that you know by the punishment they don't feel guilt they feel the relief of their burden and bad conscience. Yeah, and this might actually take us back to Lou's point yesterday that like if the, the guilt is toward the uh, toward the gods, right? At least uh, I, I think that was your point yesterday, right, Lou? Yeah, I I think that's a discussion we'll have when we actually read the, the uh, Nietzsche essay. I was just pointing out that it heavily leans on the equivocation of Schuld, which both means um, guilt and debt, and um, that there's a conception of um, guilt as... The, the debt to the um, debt to the uh, I don't 
know what the real, uh, the right proposition there is. Um, that uh, guilt is a debt to the divine is somehow at work there. Sorry, it's between it we can't really speak straight anymore. <laughs> That's okay. This, this is a very difficult um, point to tease out too, right? Because in this way, right, like the, if the origin of bad consciousness of guilt is in in sort of the, the, the master race or the gods or what have you, um, it's interesting then because like that seems to be very much tied up in repression. Are you saying that, like, the repression of the violent punishment is producing this uh, guilt and bad conscience? Um, I think we'd have to walk it back to that passage. But um, more to the sense that, like, so it kind of sounds like, Lou, you're, you're saying there's this relationship to these um this blonde-headed people and like as Nietzsche is saying it's in part it's because those blonde-headed people kind of create uh the society right like it's it's basically an origin myth um in contrast to like what we were saying about like just kind of the socius of the earth without that representation and so at that it, it seems to me that like if what happens is the the these sort of like um, uh, these architects, if you like, that might be the easiest word for them. It seems to me like if these architects put all this together and created and um, marked bodies and, and put this representation, um, or rather, if that representation is applied onto us and inscribed upon us in, in circulation, it seems that what we get with that representation is this sense of guilt or even bad conscience toward um, those architects or a question of if they have that that bad conscience among themselves because when I think of um, since he references Greece when I think of like Aeschylus and, and Prometheus right that's one of the questions in that play is like was would is Zeus wise to wipe out humanity and make a better version, or is it more important to, for that the present humanity to be preserved? I don't even know what a you know value framework to apply to <laughs> analyze that question to apply Zeus's or our own. That is kind of the problem, though, isn't it? Because like. It kind of like beds the problem of um, what is the representation circulating in in, um, in this way? Like, what is the socius inscribing with this territorial representation? But um, maybe there's some other passages you guys want to focus on, or um, there may be other points that we're still kind of like trying to work through here. Yeah. 
but now that I think about it, um, maybe I'm able to find some kind of sensible words. But um, in this case of this um, um, citation of Nietzsche, uh, I would say it's this this guilt, this debt uh, in relation to to a god or a sovereign, like um, they come from outside or maybe even from inside uh, the territory and they built like an artist specific f forms of uh, of order like um, specific political structures they enable people to order order their world and their lives in a specific in a uh, kind of coherent way like um, maybe priests do with with uh, with myths and religion and by that by this uh, creation of a myth or a political system uh, people uh, feel a kind of guilt because they were built as persons in the system uh, as as um, yeah how's the english word for uh, uh, uh. just a second Ah, as uh, as as citizens uh, from state, or as God's children, so they they have uh, some kind of uh, responsibility to feel guilt and to pay respect back to this uh, regime of signifiers and uh, this bringers of order. Well, the the debt becomes infinite, right? Yeah, because it isn't grounded in a specific social or natural um, relation anymore, because in, in some kind of abstract uh, ideal, like the state or in God. It's not the simple debt from a person that uh, received uh, the cow from another person and tries to trade it for something that kind of is equivalent to it or maybe as valuable uh, for the another person that the cow is for him it's more like this this abstract sense that every other social relation of debt is uh, subsumed under this ideal and is uh, valued uh, in this framework Yeah, and it never terminates, right? Like he says, there's no final discharge. Like when I think about our own society, like even after you pay somebody a debt, there's always this kind of, really it's a memory, but there's always this sense that you owed them money, that you were in debt to them. And like, you know, that's sort of on your conscience, as we say today. Of course, now, now I'm thinking in contemporary terms, but it does seem to kind of bear some resonance here where if, if you can't have that final discharge of debt, um, you do have the problem. You do have a major problem here, right? Like that never ends. Yeah, I'd say another aspect of that is that there's always, you know, the possibility of going into debt again is always kind of hanging over everybody. Yeah, and that's why we have credit scores, right? Is pre precisely for that reason, from an institutional standpoint. Right. Yeah, and you learn to um, kind of love this restricted freedom, like uh, you're still part of this restricting and repressing system uh, of any form, but you feel 
relieved when you pay back your debt uh, Uh, debt to it uh, or to another person like an institution or uh, the lot of bills that piled up uh, over the last months but still you are in this repressing system you are not really free but you feel kind of free in a, in a false sense in a uh, in a quasi freedom that is only a compensation for the loss of uh, real freedom by creating um, your own ways of that Yeah, and, and the way they explain this kind of theater of cruelty on page 191 might be really helpful here, right? Because it's, they write, it is not because everyone is suspected in advance of being a future bad debtor. The contrary would be closer to the truth. It is the bad debtor who must be understood as if the marts had not sufficiently taken on him, as if he were or had been unmarked. He was merely widened beyond the limits allowed, the gap that separated the voice of alliance and the body of filiation to such a degree that it is necessary to reestablish the equilibrium through an increase in pain. So like, this seems to be like this, this kind of theater of cruelty in that, this idea that um, injury equals pain, or, or rather injury should. Now I just leave it like that. The, The, the equation injury equals pain here seems to be about the territorial representation or maybe even this, uh, what seems like a state here, but like uh, whatever the power at B here is, recognizing that somebody is, is widening the gap between the alliant and the affiliative, and therefore they haven't been marked well enough, as, as they say later on, right? This is a question of producing men. There's a line uh, above there that I was having trouble with. And what is his pain, if not a pleasure for the eye that regards it, the collective or divine eye that is not motivated by any idea of revenge, but is alone capable of grasping the subtle relationship between the side engraved on the body and the voice issuing from a face between the mark and the mask. Why is there a pleasure here? You're talking about the pleasure the eye takes at the yeah um, at the cruelty yeah. So, um, one ninety one simply stated the eye extracts from the pain it is contemplating a surplus value of code that compensates the broken relationship between the voice of alliance that the criminal has wronged and the mark that had not sufficiently penetrated the body. The crime, a rupture of the phonographic connection, reestablished by the spectacle of the punishment as primitive justice. Territorial representation has foreseen everything. I see. So, yeah, pleasure is just in seeing one's prophecy fulfilled, I suppose. Well, the, the notion of surplus value of code here, like it's it's restorative, right? So if injury equals pain, then that pain driving into the body, the, the signs, right? Um, sort of enhancing the sign, the sign, producing that man, that is to say, making them more a part of this, right? Reinforcing the representation upon them. So much so that you're inscribing it upon their bodies, so to speak, or perhaps quite literally, 
Um, the pleasure of the eye seems to be that the eye <clears throat> that the eye is is finding the system not only re reinforced, but that by getting the surplus value of code, there is a sort of restoration, right? If if the debt is um, if the debt between this person and another, if we want to simplify it, is um, is in lack, right? Or it's it's I shouldn't use the word lack isn't repaid properly, then that surplus value of code appears to compensate for that. <clears throat> I see. So I think with regards to, so I, sorry, I, I messed up before. I was reading a line from, I just flipped the 189 instead of 191 back That's what happened there. But yeah, it's not the idea of the revenge. It's It's sort of the functionality of the revenge that is the pleasure. Yeah that you bring back the system in order like the criminal that had has done something wrong or the uh, debtor that got back into the system like um, the eye is some sort of uh, institution or maybe just an eternalized institution from uh, the person that did something wrong that just can tell um, itself in in retrospective yeah i did um, I did something good again. I'm now again part of society of this order of this regime, uh, and I can function in it again. Yeah, and in the same way, the the aspects of affiliative and alliant that gap is is closed. So right, like if if it seems too like what this is doing is it's preventing the um, the impression that the, the representation is sort of um, frayed, that it's, it's starting to sort of tear, or perhaps to use the, the more proper term, that, that the circulation or that the, the debting is sort of um, being challenged, right? Because by not paying the debt or by doing something else, right, maybe something more revolutionary in a sense, and then there's a kind of uh, that opens up the opportunity for a kind of social investment, I think. And I think that's what the, the fear is here. So maybe we're starting to understand this a little bit more deeply. I'll say this has been one of the more challenging sections for me. It Not was challenging, you. yeah. Yeah. But I really, I think it's got a lot of momentum towards the second half of it and make me really excited to read the rest of this chapter. Yeah, the more we talk about it, the more I'm starting to understand the flow of things. Um, Lou, I, I think it was you yesterday. You were, um, did you want to talk about the, the excuse me, the theater of cruelty? Um... Yes, I, I said that yesterday, but I'm kind of phased out already, so I don't think this will be productive for me right now. No problem, it's late. Yeah, I'm struggling too, man. I skipped lunch. <laughs> this has been really interesting, though, because like, I know for our toad, the theater of cruelty doesn't seem to be really a negative thing, right? Like he's building a theater of cruelty. It seems to be a really positive, af affirmative project for him. 
what's interesting to me about this this section is like the notion of cruelty here is kind of interesting for Deleuze and Guattari because cruelty, if I remember correctly, is like it has this way of putting desiring production into motion, right? Or that is to say, like here, it's it's um, at least this theater of cruelty is very much about getting people to act a certain way, but also maintaining the social the, the social representation and therefore the social and psychic repression, right? So like by marking this person's body, there is going to be psychic repression, yeah? And in that way, this does seem to pose kind of a problem of cruelty, right? Like there's, there's at least for me, there definitely seems to be some ethical questions being raised here. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I'm not sure what to make of it, but, uh, you know, another line that stood out to me from the top of page 190 was that they had to choose the stone that will make a man of the young Guayaki with enough pain and suffering by cleaving the length of his back. It must have a good cutting edge, but not like a sliver of bamboo, which cuts too easily. I think, yeah, there's an interesting ethics there. Yeah, and it's in relation to the, the the representation of that, right? Like, it can't kill him, but it's got to make the message in a very precise way, right? Like, it's very well thought out. And, and there is kind of an ethics there, too, because that is a justifiable action, right? That is, um, you know, there, this is like the ethicality of it, is that that's kind of a positive thing to do. That's part of the normandological here. Right, and it wouldn't accomplish its function if it was just, you know, a little nick. Right, it's got to be just, it's got to be the pain that equals the in injury. Yeah. I think the connection to the theater of cruelty in a toast sense is the intensity of or the mode in which this ritual is experienced like the 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 point isn't that the elements mean something in a representational sense but it's actually about the effects that are at work i i think that's kind of how how this links to our tool yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And in that way, too, like, they talk about, like, the agents of repression and that. Like, in this sense, the theater of uh, cruelty that's going on here does seem to be part of those agents, right? Like, I, um, I, I almost want to call it, like, a social machine, right? Maybe that's... Maybe I'm wrong to do that, but um, there's definitely, like, a... a performative thing happening here there's you know this does seem to be at least social in that context i think it, i think that's a, a good way to phrase it. it it's you know it it's about the production of this affect at the proper intensity that sense it's in that sense, it's the point where uh, desiring production and social production connect, right? Mm. Like, 
Yeah, exactly. Because it, it, it's a, it's that socius in relation to the body with our organs again. Because if we go back to that first paragraph, right, or on the contrary, join together to form a death instinct and it extends throughout the social machine, crushing desire. Actually, uh, this next sentence after the sentence that contains a theater of cruelty, such as the manner in which territorial, territorial representation organizes itself at the surface, still quite close to a desiring mission of eye-hand voice. So here we have, again, we have the desiring missions of, 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 um, of desiring production that connect that are close to the surface and the surfaces if we talk about the same surface that we've talked about the whole time the surface of the socials yeah and that goes right back to their point about according to whether the social machines execute more or less of a movement of detachment or decomant in relation to the desiring machines Because I, I think this, too, goes back to what you were saying earlier about that system of cruelty and the, um, the differentiation there with, with capitalism, right, is that the social machines and desiring machines have this intimacy. Here we go. In the sense it is possible that the primitive codes, at the moment they are acting on the flows of desire, With maximum, with a maximum of vigilance and extension, binding them in a system of cruelty, maintain an infinitely, an infinitely greater affinity with desire machines than does the capitalist axiomatic, which nonetheless liberates the decoded flows. This is because in the primitive socius, desire is not yet trapped, not yet introduced into a set of impasses. The flows have lost none of their polyvocity, and the simple represented in representation has not yet taken the place of the representative. <clears throat> so I think I'm grasping this sort of non-representational cruelty and the uh, you know, inscription and scarification of the skins as a form of sort of a territorial economy. Now, where does this become a representation? Have they gotten to that yet? Or is that going to come in the next section? So, um, Lou, maybe you want to read that quote from 145, but I, I think, at least what it seems to me is that, um, well, actually, Lou, maybe you should read the quote. Okay, that's actually from the first, uh, that's the end of the section where they first talked about Nietzsche and um, the genealogy of morals and um, memory. And at the end there, they define cruelty because they introduced cru cruelty earlier through Nietzsche. Cruelty has nothing to do with some ill-defined nat or natural violence that might be commissioned to explain the history of mankind. Cruelty is the movement of culture that is realized in bodies and inscribed on them, belaboring them. 
That is what cruelty means. This culture is not the movement of ideology. On the contrary, it forcibly injects product into desire and conversely, it forcibly inserts desire into social production and reproduction. For even death, punish punishment and torture are desired and are instances of production. Compare the history of fatalism. It makes men or their organs into the parts and wheels of the social machine. The sign is a position of desire, but the first signs are the territorial signs that plant their flags and bodies. And if one wants to call this inscription in naked flesh writing, then it must be said that speech in fact presupposes writing, that it is this cruel system of inscribed signs that renders man capable of language and gives him a memory of spoken word. There are some scrambled things in this quote, but that is actually scrambled in my PDF. I don't know if there's a better version. Yeah, but I, I think that really is, um, that, that at least answers the question, right, is that cruelty is here to put the body of uh, the transgressor, transgressor into a kind of, uh, into a kind of movement, right? that is with the territorial representation. I, I like that too, because it's not about ideology, right? It's about desiring production. Or in that way, like the territorial machine here is not, it doesn't seem to me we're supposed to understand this in terms of ideology. We're supposed to understand how this um, this territorial machine works in connection not only with the socius but with desiring production. But with that, maybe we want to call it because I think we're all getting tired, and I just found out I've got to get to work. So, <laughs> um, anyone have any final thoughts? Awesome. Then that concludes um, our recap session of Chapter 3, Section 5, uh, Territorial Representation of Anti-Oedipus. We will be doing a breakout session on the genealogy of morals by Friedrich Nietzsche very soon. Um, and we are still, I think, going to try and do a little bit more work with understanding this section. So uh, I hope you all will join us for that continued uh, development of our interpretation of this section. So thank you all for being here.